was amazing. Somebody asked in the lobby if we had any trouble at our place during the storm, and I said, yeah, my wife and I were fighting like cats and dogs. <laughs> no, not really. It was quite an event. Well, let's open our Bibles tonight to Deuteronomy chapter 30. No notes to pass out, no PowerPoint. Uh, there is a PowerPoint, I think, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Uh, be, I hope I can stick to the PowerPoint. Our text tonight uh, is going to be from Deuteronomy chapter 30, and as you're turning there, let me remind you, as I often do when I'm preaching from the Old Testament, uh, in Romans 15, verse 4, Paul, speaking to the Roman church, said, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. What he was talking about was we could look back at the Old Testament and see how God worked back then, and that teaches us how God works in our life today. If I would have opened by saying, how do you identify the work of God in your life? What would be your answer? Is he at work in your life? Uh, I think that's an an a question a lot of people struggle for the answer. You know, they just don't recognize the work of God. Well, I think if, uh, if we would understand how vital it is to recognize the works of God, we'd look for them a little bit more frequently, I think. In this passage, we're going to see that the real choice for true Christians is whether or not to obey. Uh, our Christian life is not uh, a task of simply creating or setting an agenda of works and service that pleases God, uh, our job as a believer is to obey God. We're to learn of him and to obey him. And as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, that's what it's always been. God wants us to simply obey him. He has the agenda, and he'll put us to work where he wants us working so that we can be used of him to fulfill his agenda. Before we look at Deuteronomy 30, let me remind you of God's eulogy of Moses. It's found a few chapters later in Deuteronomy. It says this, There arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Think about that kind of personal relationship with God. It's, it's as though we were meeting with him on a regular basis, face to face, getting to know him and to learn of him and to love him. Well, in this passage that we're going to read in just a moment, Deuteronomy 30, Moses is 120 years old, and he is approaching his final days as God's chosen leader of Israel, God's chosen people. You might remember Israel had been a privileged people, just like us. We've been a real privileged people. Moses, here in this passage, is concerned about their future well-being as they enter the promised land. And to me, it's of great significance that uh, as he makes his final address here, he's not enthralled with his own accomplishments for God. He's more concerned, and appropriately so, 
that the people let God work in and through them. And that's what the topic really of his, his message is going to be. The 40 years of wilderness wandering is now coming to an end. And you might recall that Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land because of his sin at Meribah, where God had uh, instructed him to speak to the rock and a water would gush forth. And in a fit of anger and uh, temporarily losing his self-control, he smote the rock with his staff. And that, what we might think to be trivial piece of disobedience, really cost Moses. He was forbidden to enter the promised land. As we look at this passage also, we should be reminded that Canaan, or the promised land, is not a picture of heaven, it's a picture of the Christian life. Joshua has already been chosen to succeed Moses and to lead the nation into Canaan. And so Moses is given one final opportunity to address the people that he has led for 40 years. Think about that. A 40-year executive career is coming to an end. (laughs) What would you want to talk about if you were Moses and you knew this was the final time you had to influence these people? What would your topic be? What would your emphasis be? Well, let's look at Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 8, where the Bible says, And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord, and do all his commandments which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy land, for good. Boy, that song we just sang is... Sets this up so appropriately, Zach. It's such a blessing. For good, for the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good, as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul. For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou should say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, and that I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish." And that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. 
that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Help us, Lord, as we look at this passage to see you, to understand what you want for us and from us. And I pray, Lord, that as we understand this and obey the word of God, that our lives would bring you glory. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things I see in Moses' life in Deuteronomy chapter 30 is Moses is a tremendous picture of what a pastor is. He loved his people. He prayed for them. On several occasions, he interceded with God on their behalf, holding back the judgment of God. He encouraged them, and he led them. A true love creates a genuine concern. We might say authentic. That's the buzzword of the day, an authentic concern. By the way, Moses, for most of his ministry, the people that he led murmured against him. Isn't that ironic? Of course, that doesn't happen much today, does it? He loved them, and he led them anyway. Moses, in his final opportunity to address the people, gets right down to the basics for their survival in the Christian life or in the promised land. In the preceding chapters leading up to the text that we read, Moses had laid out the rewards for obedience and the punishments for disobedience. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse 16, it said this, This day the Lord thy God commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments that thou shalt keep, excuse me, thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. That is a a total commitment, you might say. Thou hast avouched or promised the Lord this day to be thy God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord hath avouched or promised thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he hath promised thee that thou should keep all these commandments, all his commandments, and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor, and that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God as he hath spoken. So that the children of Israel certainly had an understanding of what God wanted for them and from them. And as you study Deuteronomy here, in in chapter 1, the book opens with Moses speaking to the nation of Israel and reminding them that uh, they had uh, earlier been commanded to go into the promised land. And in spite of the promises of God, you might remember the story how 12 spies were sent in and 10 of the spies returned from their scouting trip, giving a discouraging report about the land, focusing on the problems that they saw there rather than the promises of God. Boy, there's a battle we fight often, isn't it? We focus on the problems around us instead of the promises that God has made to us. And that's kind of astonishing in light of them having been eyewitnesses to the miraculous exodus from Egypt and the provision of their trek through the the wilderness. Uh, It's in this passage that you read that for those 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. Uh, God provided all that they needed as they wandered uh, what I'm sure to them seemed aimlessly. 
their experience and the fruitful evidence that God had provided was not enough to convince them to trust and obey him. That's a head shaker, isn't it? What does it take for a people to trust God? Their rejection of God's word, their unbelief, brought out the wrath of God, and a judgment was pronounced. And as a result, they would wander in the wilderness until all the rejectors perished. Of that adult generation, only Joshua and Caleb would go into the promised land. And upon hearing about that judgment, you might remember the people repented. They begged Moses to plead again on their behalf, but it was to no avail. I learned a great lesson a long time ago from this particular passage. There is a a high cost in consequence. And uh, don't presume upon the grace of God. These people, after they heard the trouble that they were in and the penalty they were going to suffer, said, well, God, we're changing our mind. We're going to do what you said. And he said, sorry, too late. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. No promised land for you. So unsatisfied with the will of God, what did the people do? They took it upon themselves to make war against the Amorites, and they suffered a crushing defeat. And so they turned back into the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Pretty tragic story when you think about it. I want us to look tonight in this passage of scripture and really learn how God worked in their life so we can understand a little bit about how he's working in our lives. In chapters 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy, he recaps some more of the wonderful works of God on their behalf. Chapter 3 ends telling Moses that he can look at but not enter the promised land. Joshua is going to be the leader that takes the people in. Chapter 4, Moses begins his messages to those who will enter the promised land. In Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 and 2, Moses said, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Isn't that interesting that in, in really the beginning of, of their trek into the promised land, God said, look, uh, don't add to the word and don't take away from the word of God. Where did we read about that again? Yeah, Revelation. The last chapter of the Bible. God's opinion of how we approach his word hasn't changed a bit. Then in chapter 5, Moses restates the law, including the Ten Commandments. He originally, in Exodus 20, gave the Ten Commandments, but you remember when he came down from the mountain, he cast the, the commandment stones and, and broke them on the golden calf. And uh, here he restates the Ten Commandments. In chapter 6, we read that classic passage about parenting children and how that We're to teach our children so that they have a continual presence of God's word in their life. His final message is summarized in one commandment, not in a tedious 
or cumbersome set of religious rules, but one commandment. And whether you're in, this is a wonderful lesson I've learned from this in my study this time of this passage. Whether you're in Egypt, the wilderness, or the promised land, the daily battle is the same. It's personal. It's you versus you. It's how are you going to do in obedience to what God has told you? Oh, there's no doubt that we're influenced by the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the battle is my will versus the will of God. It's a personal battle. Uh, no matter where you are, the battle is the same. Geography doesn't change the battle. That isn't the real issue. Your life context may be different than someone else's. You might uh, come from a, a bad home, a poor marriage, a, a poor or a rich family. It doesn't matter what the context of life is. The battle is still your will against God's will. And here's the, the good news. The battle is winnable. Amen. It's winnable through surrender. And Jesus said it as plainly as I could say it here tonight. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's the battle. We need to learn the will of God and to do it. We fail to win the battle, in other words, we lose, because we are ignorant of God's person, or we're ignorant of his presence, or we're ignorant of his power. Those are the reasons we lose the battle. And it's because of our lack of commitment or lack of confidence or trust or faith in the living God. So the formula for, for Israel was this. It's, it's uh, found in Deuteronomy 31, but I'll just give it to you briefly here. Israel was to hear, learn, fear, and do. That's what it is for us. We're to listen, we're to understand, we're to be convinced, and we're to obey. That should be our approach to God and his will and his word. They were to teach their children a song that would be a witness for God. You've no doubt heard about the song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. The purpose of that song was so that the children could easily learn the need to love God and obey him. And this was so because God knew that after Moses was gone, the people would turn to other gods. When the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> I don't think that's in the Bible, but the concept is. The song would remind the next generation about the true God. So tonight, three simple points. Number one, the simple command to comply. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14. The command was a familiar command. It wasn't hidden from the people, and it wasn't far off. It wasn't in heaven, and it wasn't beyond the sea. It wasn't some obscure theological truth that could only be understood by a few religious leaders. No, the, the command was very nigh unto them. It was in their mouth and in their heart. They knew what God's will was. They talked about it. They understood. They were well taught and often reminded. I was thinking about this earlier this week. And although I had my notes ready to go, I thought, this is, there's a, there's a big valuable lesson for us here. Your understanding 
of God and his will should come from a Holy Spirit-filled study of the Bible. It shouldn't come from books or films or what others say about the Bible. That's dangerous. Now, I'm not saying don't read books or don't watch films. What I'm saying is what you understand and embrace about God should come from the Bible. And the Holy Spirit lives in you for that very purpose so that you can understand and make application of what the will of God for you in your life context is. Boy, God doesn't leave us hopeless or helpless. Secondly, we see obedience was the proper response. He says that thou mayest do it. Look, the commandment wasn't foreign, it wasn't unfamiliar. The commandment was simple so that you can do it. The people were not ignorant of God's word or God's will. They had been well taught, but they were rejecting it. Maybe they were just a little bit apathetic. That'll cause you to reject it as well. Maybe it just doesn't hold a high priority in your life. Here's another danger I see in in modern-day Christianity, and that is this. We have a lot of knowledge about God, but we really struggle with putting it to practice in our life. While knowledge is important, the real issue in determining success in our Christian life is obedience. James put it this way, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Look, the Bible needs to move from your intellectual understanding to your heart and your feet and legs and hands. But you know what it's like being part of the curse, having a sin nature. Our rebel heart oftentimes says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. (laughs) Really? God already has. He's already told us what to do. And he's going to hold us accountable for what he has said. Whether we believe him or not, we're accountable to him. So obedience is the proper response. The commandment, let's examine it a little bit. In Deuteronomy 27, verse 9, the Bible says, And Moses and the priests and the Levites spake, unto all Israel, saying, Take heed and hearken, O Israel, this day thou art become the people of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt therefore obey the voice of the Lord thy God, and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. There it is. Still true today. He says we're to love the Lord thy God. That means to have a personal relationship with him. Like a father and a child have a relationship. That is why he saved you. He wants to bring you back into a personal relationship. He loves you. As a father loves a child. We're to walk in his ways. That speaks about discipleship or being an adherent continuing to learn of Christ and to live like him. And that's a process. 
It's developing a relationship, and it's a lifetime of work. From the moment we're saved until death door opens and takes us in, we are to be becoming like Christ. The real invitation given in Scripture from God to us is this. Come as you are, and I'll make you what you ought to be. And that's going to take the rest of our life. We oftentimes talk about walking with God. No, we were pastors preaching the series on it. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Uh, sometimes we think that little phrase, walking with God, is somewhat mysterious. Do you know what it means to walk with God? It simply means to order your life. It means to learn of him, understand what he says, and have the discipline to put it to practice in your life. That's what walking with God means. And God says, I want you to do this so others form a right opinion of who I am. That's what it means to glorify God. So when people observe you, they say, wow, there's one of those peculiar people. That's one of God's people because they're kind of like God, or that must be what God's like. So we're to love the Lord thy God, we're to walk in his ways, and we do that by keeping his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments. That is through submission and obedience, applying God's word to our life. Living life with a continual trust that God's way is the only way. Not just the best way, but it's the only way. The greatest obstacle that is in the way for us to successfully fulfill that command is us. I'm the barrier to me, and you're the barrier to you. You know, oftentimes in counsel, especially around the issue of addiction, I talk to people about understanding what true love is, what agape love is. It means to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of the one you are loving. And that's how we're to to love God. There's a lot of things that our will wants or wants to do. But those are to be sacrificed to God in submission so we can do what he wants us to do. So there was a command with which to comply. Secondly, there's a significant choice to consider. The command was simple. Compliance would be critical. He says, I set before you life and good and death and evil. Wow, what a picture that is. I can see Moses standing at his pulpit. He's he's just reminded them about all that life is supposed to be. And he says, look, I've just set before you life and blessing, (laughs) death and cursing. Choose life. Choose life. It's your choice. Life is a never-ending succession of choices. You know, God is the one who gave us the privilege and responsibility of choice. 
He gave us a will. Along with that privilege comes the responsibility of living with the consequences of our choices. God has spoken. The world, the flesh, and the devil all make their appeal to reject God and do your own thing. But you have to make the choice. (laughs) Choice is yours to make. But keep this in mind. Choice does not change truth. God's truth will not change. No matter how many times you choose against it, his truth will not change. You can deny God, but you cannot escape him. So there's an exhortation he gives to make the right choice. Choose life and good. That was Moses' desire for the people. And I'm sure that's pastor's desire for us as well. Why should they choose life and good? Well, for current blessing, you might say. That thou mayest live. You see, the choices that they made would have direct impact on their own lives. Consider with me for a moment the promises of of making the right choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, the beginning of the chapter, where Moses says it shall come to pass when all these things shall come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shall return unto the Lord thy God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God, and watch, watch what God does here. This is so informative. That then, once we've made that surrender, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out of the utmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee, and the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will give thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live." And the Lord thy God will put out all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand and in the fruit of thy body and in the fruit of thy cattle and in the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and statutes which are written in the book of this law, and if thou shalt turn unto the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Do you realize how much God wants to do in and through you? And it's all for good. It's all for good. It's as though God is holding his basket of blessings and saying, I want to give you this, and I want to do this, and I want you to have this, and I want you to experience this. I've got all these blessings, and I'm trying to give them to you. 
Choose life and good. What a picture. Not only current blessing for obedience, but future blessing. He says that both thou and thy seed may live. Their choices would impact their children. Many years ago, I found a poem that was so special to my heart. I'm going to share it with you tonight. "'Twas a sheep, not a lamb, that strayed away in the parable Jesus told. A grown-up sheep that had gone astray out on the hillside, out in the cold. From the ninety and nine in the fold, "'twas a sheep the good shepherd sought. And back to the flock, safe to the fold, was a sheep the good shepherd brought. And why for the sheep should we earnestly long and as earnestly hope and pray?' Because there is danger if they go wrong, they'll lead all the lambs astray. For the lambs will follow the sheep, you know, wherever the sheep will stray. When the sheep go wrong, it will not be long till the lambs are as wrong as they. And so with the sheep we earnestly plead for the sake of the lambs today. If the sheep are lost, what a terrible cost the lambs will have to pay. Your children may have to pay the consequences of your disobedience. Remember, the children of Israel that Moses is addressing here are the children of those who had rejected the promised land. They paid the price. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness. And many of these young adults whom Moses was addressing no doubt would remember the bad decisions that their parents made. What a price. And then he says that thou mayest prosper. What would prosperity mean to these people back in that age? Well, within days of Moses giving this command, Joshua, uh, Moses' successor, would speak to the same crowd. And listen to what he says. Now, after the death of Moses, this is Joshua 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, into the land which I give, do I give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given you. As I said unto Moses... From the wilderness and and this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coasts. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, no compromise. That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. God wants to bless his people. But not only that, God keeps his word. You know, so I was studying through this. He, he keeps on saying, as he promised their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you know what? From, from that initial promise to the rejection of the parents of these kids, and now as these kids go into the promised land, God was intent on keeping his promise. And he was going to do it through the people. Prosperity defined here has the idea of being profitable or causing to be effective. Right choices result in great blessings. He says, choose life and blessings. And by the way, these blessings are not the trinkets of the world. They are the things that God knows that are good for you and I. And that will bring true joy and happiness. We get the idea that trinkets are stuff. Don't fall into that trap. It's one of the world's tricks to keep us away from that relationship with God. There were other options available, however. He says, not only choose life and blessing, he said, but you could choose death and evil. Don't make the wrong choice, he was saying. There's an interesting principle throughout Scripture. It's this. If you won't serve the God of heaven, you will serve the gods of this world. We think, well, I'm going to do it my way. No, it's really never like that. (laughs) It's I'll do it God's way or their way. Think about that. Let that sink in for a little bit. It's never, I'm going to do it my way. No, your way is something you learn from somebody else or something else or some other principle or philosophy that is pulling you away from the truth. 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter was speaking about the false prophets of Peter's day. He said, there, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. Make sure that you don't choose death and evil. Because if you do, you shall surely perish, he says. Our sin separates us between God and us. Remember what God had told Adam in the Garden of Eden? He says, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. That die had had the effect of separating from God. What we can learn is this, a choice against God's word and his will is a choice for judgment. There are no neutral positions in scripture when it comes to the will of God. None. Jesus said, you are either with me or against me. He said, you'll not prolong your days upon the land. What he's saying there is there would be an abbreviated stay in the promised land. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. I'm sure all the young people in here are familiar with this passage. 
It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother. And then there's a parenthetical statement. You know what that parenthetical statement says? Which is the first commandment with promise. It's the first of the Ten Commandments that carried a promise with it. And the promise was about how long you would live upon the earth. Honor thy father and thy mother, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And the Bible is filled with example of young people who had a, you might say, premature exit from this world. Samson, Uzzah, Hophni, Phinehas, and the, and the list could go on and on. Their choice would be critical. And folks, here's a, here's a, a lesson that when you study this whole scenario in, in depth, one of the, the important lessons that we learn for life, and particularly for parenting, is this. God laid out the law or the rule. He laid out the consequence for disobedience. And then he said, choose to obey. That's basically the picture. In your parenting, how about this? You set the rule. You tell your children the consequence for violating that rule. And then you tell them, obey. You know, when the temptation comes for those children to disobey, the battle is now between not you and and them. It's between the consequence and them. And if that consequence is serious enough, and by the way, these were quite serious, (laughs) maybe your children would have a little more impetus to obey. That's the way God deals with us. The punishment needs to be fulfilled once we've laid that out or it breaks down the authority. So we see the command was simple, the choice would be significant, then there's a serious challenge to commitment. Moses couldn't make the choice for them. He could only tell them the truth, give his recommendation. That's what our pastor does with us every, every Sunday, every Wednesday. He gives us the truth. He tells us what's right. He tells us what we ought to do, but we have to make the choice. And here it's interesting how Moses does this. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. He called heaven to record. God knows your heart, and you're going to give account to him. So your choice is going to be recorded in heaven. Romans 14, 12 simply says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. For the unbeliever, it's quite frightening to read about the judgment and the accountability. In Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, John describes that final judgment like this. He says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, Stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according, or according to those things that were written in the books, according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Now, folks, what it's telling us here is this. Your biography is being written in heaven. And there's a day of accounting coming. If you're not saved tonight... 
The Bible says, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the judgment that is waiting for you if you continue to reject the Lord God's salvation that he so freely offers. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. He called heaven to record, and he called earth to record. It speaks about a commitment one to another, knowing, for example, where we stand. It's interesting that in the crowd of people that would enter the promised land was a young man named Achan. And as soon as they crossed over Jordan, the battle of Jericho takes place. And you remember Achan goes into the city and he takes a goodly Babylonian garment and some shekels of silver and he hides them in his tent. Selfish. And what happens? The children of Israel go to the next little city, the little town of Ai, and they get their lunch handed to them. Thirty-six husbands and fathers did not come home from the battle of Ai. You see, it would have been good to know that you had an Achan among you before that battle took place. We have a, a responsibility toward each other as the children of God. We, we can affect God's blessing on the whole family here in Georgetown by our disobedience. Well, Moses challenges them to make a commitment. He says, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that served on the other side of the flood, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's Joshua's challenge to this same crowd How did the people respond to that challenge? Here's a generation that rejected God and they wandered in the the wilderness. The children suffered. So now they go into the promised land. And the Bible says here in Judges chapter 2 that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, the works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Heras in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto the fathers, All these people with Joshua serving the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? What a wonderful picture. The sentence doesn't end there. It goes on to say, and there rose another generation after them, listen to this, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. That generation serving the Lord with Joshua failed their children. Folks, it is hard to stay faithful. It is hard to live the obedient life. We have a lot of pressure against us. The world, the flesh, the devil. 
It's pressing on us all the time. But it is right to serve the Lord. And we have to make the choice. So let me leave you with this question today. What or who is driving your decision to serve God? Who is it that's influencing you? What we see here is the command was simple. The choice was significant. And the level of commitment would demonstrate their seriousness about knowing God. In one sense, it's a difference between being spiritual or being religious. We love God by spending time with him and looking to him. Listening to what he tells us. And then obeying. We teach our children that simple truth with a song. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us, dear Lord.